You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now bring you Pro-Life Activism from Creation to Death with Jim Sedlak. Hello and welcome to Pro-Life Activism from Creation to Death. This is the program that is intended for all those who are involved in the struggle to build a culture of life in the United States. We try to bring you up to date on all the things that are going on within the pro-life world and to bring you relevant information, especially this week. Uh, there is so much going on. Uh, before we begin our show, we want to start the way we always start, and that is by joining together in a Hail Mary to ask our Blessed Mother to shower God's graces on all involved in today's program so that our discussion will lead us to the message that she wants each of us to get at this moment. And so if you would join me, please. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you so much for saying that prayer with me. It is always a great way to start our program and a great way to begin anytime you're starting a new activity during the day. All right, we're talking today is 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 October the 2nd. We're into the last quarter of the year. And what a year it has been here in 2020 and then there's lots of excitement that's going to be going on in the next month or so. And we're going to be talking about a lot of that today on the show. But before we get into all of that, I think we have to spend a couple of minutes to recall why I'm on the air, what what this is all about, uh, because we're not here just to report the local news. Right? You, you get that from all kinds of news channels. Sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it's intentionally not accurate. Uh, but there are certainly a lot of sources that you can get. But in order to understand why we're here and why you are tuning into this show, let us just take a look at this week, this last week, the last seven days in this country. In those last seven days, right here, as we begin October 2020, in those last seven days, over 16,000 mothers went to abortionists to end the lives of their preborn child. 16,000 mothers. And they're all mothers, right? I know everybody wants to say women, right? But they're all mothers, right? Because they have a child in their womb. If they didn't have a child in their womb, there would be no need to get an abortion, right? So they went and they got them. Now, statistically speaking, 9,600 of them went to get a surgical abortion, an invasive procedure. There are 463 surgical abortion facilities here in the United States. They all perform abortions, some just in the first trimester, some in the first and second trimester, and there are others who do third trimester abortions. That number is not huge, but they are out there, and they will do it. So 463 different surgical abortion locations across the country. In addition to that, there are 256 locations across the country that 
do the abortion pill only. They don't do surgical abortions. They just do abortions through administration of what's known as Mifeprex, right? They, or a uh, medication abortion is what the industry calls them. And, and uh, generally referred to as the abortion pill, even though there's two pills, but it's the abortion pill regimen, if you will. And there's 256 of those locations. So all in all, if you count up all the surgical locations and all of the abortion pill locations, uh, there are some 719 abortion facilities in the United States that these mothers can go to. Now, according to the best statistics we have, and nobody knows the exact count, there are somewhere between 800,000 and 900,000 babies killed a year through either surgical or medical abortions. We need to focus on these 16,000 mothers. And there are people in this country who do. And they are the backbone of the pro-life movement. They are the ones who very often stand between the baby and their mother's intent to kill them. Now, we're going to we, we use several words. You know, the, the word abortion used to be a really horrific word. OK, when you say, you know, you aborted a mission in a war or or something was an abortion, it, it, it was about the worst thing you can you could say. But these days, abortion is, is really a cover up for what happens. What happens is killing. Right. She didn't have an abortion. She killed her child. And if you want to be even more accurate with it, the right terminology is murdered. So 16,000 mothers this week in the United States murdered their preborn ch- child and children. 16,000. And there are those who stand at the abortion facilities, at pregnancy care centers, et cetera, um, th- to try to dissuade that, to try to stop that, to try to convince these mothers that they should not be killing their child. And they, they are really what I call the unsung heroes of the pro-life movement. These are the people on the front lines. We're talking about the people on the sidewalks uh, this, who, who seek to talk to the women. Um, in some places, they're called sidewalk counselors. In other places, they're called sidewalk advocates. But they are the people who are there to talk to the women and offer them alternatives to killing their child. There are the prayer supporters who are out there on the streets, who are there, they're not the ones, they're not the counselors or the advocates who specifically talk to the women, but they are there to give prayer support, to call on God, to direct these people in, in the way that they talk to women to try to save God's child. Every child in the womb was created by God. And so we have the prayer supporters who are out there. We have the Red Rose rescuers who actually enter the abortion facilities. Now, very often when we use the term Red Rose rescuers, people think of the rescue movement back in the the, uh, late 1970s and 1980s, even going a bit into the early 1990s 
where clinics would be blockaded, people would chain themselves to to doors, all of this kind of thing, which was all necessary and 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 was all positive, showing the the real horror going on and trying in any way they could to stop it. But the United States of America passed draconian laws against that. And so we today we have the Red Rose rescuers who don't operate like that. What they do is they walk into an abortion facility, go to the waiting room and present a red rose to every woman who is seated there. And then they proceed to talk to them calmly about what is going to happen and about how if they would like to save their child, that they can get them help and they will escort them out if they want to go out. And and some women do. There are many babies saved by Red Rose rescuers. Now, what happens, of course, is the abortion facility calls the police. The police arrive. The police tell them they have to leave. And the Red Rose rescuers basically say, look, I I can't abandon these babies that are going to die. And so if you want me out of here, you're going to have to take me out of here. I'm not going to walk out of my own accord and leave these babies to die. And so, you know, depending on the situation and depending on the the attitude of the police, et cetera, things generally go fairly peacefully as they are removed from the the abortion facility. But that's it. There's no destruction of property. There's no chaining of of yourself to machines or to doorways or whatever. Uh, This is the modern day Red Rose rescue movement that rescues a lot of babies. And we applaud their work out there. Okay, there are pregnancy help centers, you know, all over the place and many times located right near the abortion facility who will do free ultrasounds. In fact, in many places, uh, including the the Western Hemisphere's largest abortion facility, which is in Houston, Texas, run by Planned Parenthood. there There are mobile buses that are out there with ultrasound machines in them to offer free ultrasounds. Let the woman see her baby. Let this woman see the, the supposed clump of cells, and they're out there doing that. And we support all of all of that work. Okay, there are organizations that that organize, you know, people to go out there, local pro-life organizations, statewide pro-life organizations, going on right now in the United States. There are the Forty Days for Life group right? that organizes twice a year for forty days, one uh, just before the elections and the other just before Easter, uh, the, the, uh, the one in, uh, in, in just before the elections ends on the Sunday before Election Day. Uh, the one in the, in the springtime ends on Palm Sunday. 40 Days for Life has, is, is a worldwide organization. It started in Bryan College Station, Texas, and just has grown exponentially. Um, since then, and, and this year they have 588 facilities around the country and the world where there is a 40 Days for Life taking place. Um, it will continue now until November the 1st, and so it is not too late if you are not yet involved in your local 40 Days for Life. Uh, it's not too late to, to do that, to get involved. Uh, you can go to their website, 40daysforlife.com, and join in this. 
this is activism and we need to be active. So so we, before we get into a lot of things that are happening this week, and, and there certainly are a lot of things happening, uh, we just need to remember once in a while, while we're here, right? we're not here because we want to report the news. We're here because 16,000 babies in the womb will die this week. 16,000 babies in the womb, all created by God, will be murdered this week. And somebody needs to care. And you're listening to this program because you care. Right? You wouldn't be here if you didn't care. And so we need to think about that. We need to pray for these babies. And we'll talk a little bit more about prayer as we get near the end of the show. But that's what it's all about. That's what we're here for. And all of the rest of the stuff is, is stuff that we do to try to get to the point where abortion is no longer viewed as acceptable in the United States of America. And we have a lot of things to talk about and to, uh, and to happen be- before we reach that point. Okay. So let me get on now to to uh, to the the news for this week and the, and the happenings of this week. Last week, when we talked to you, we had we did not know who the nominee to the Supreme Court was going to be. It had not yet been announced by President Trump. Um, he had said that he was going to announce it the the uh, following day, and he did. Okay, and the the uh, the nominee. Um, is Amy Coney Barrett, and she is the nominee to to the uh, to the Supreme Court. Amy Coney Barrett, just to if you haven't heard anything about her, um, if you wanted to pick probably the best person from our point of view to be added to the Supreme Court, she would be the person. She's been described by people who know her as a brilliant jurist. She currently serves on an appeals court. She was appointed there a couple of years ago by President Trump, and now he is trying to to elevate her to the Supreme Court. She is what 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 in in the uh, in the um, terminology of those who worry about the Supreme Court and, and the Supreme Court decisions, she is an originalist. Now, what an originalist is, is someone who believes that you're, if you're going to interpret a document, and in this case, the Supreme Court is charged with interpreting the United States Constitution, if you're going to interpret the document, then you must understand the meanings of the words in the document as they were were when the document was written, right? You don't take the words and say, well, you know, this word meant such and such back in, you know, 1776, uh, but today it means something else. And you know the meanings of words change all the time. But the originalist judge looks at a document and says, okay, what did that mean to the people who wrote the document? And that's what we do. Okay, so an originalist, we like originalists, we, we like them to understand right? and to bring into law what the original meaning of the founders of this country were when they wrote the Constitution. Not only is she brilliant, not only is she an originalist, 
but she is experienced. She was a former clerk for Justice Scalia at the Supreme Court. So she has operated as a clerk at the Supreme Court before. She is very familiar with the whole operation of the Supreme Court. There's not a, a learning period that has to go through there. Of course, at the time she operated at the Supreme Court, there were a lot of other clerks at the court, uh, some working for what we would call pro-life justices, some what we would call pro-abortion justices. And it is very telling that none of the other clerks had anything to, bad to say about Amy Coney Barrett. They all applauded her as a brilliant clerk and as a brilliant judicial mind. Even the people who didn't believe the way she did. That's, that's something to be said. Uh, Amy is married, and she and her husband have seven children. Two of the children were adopted from Haiti, and her youngest child uh, has Down syndrome. And so you have a mother, a real mother. In fact, if she is appointed to the Supreme Court, and if she is confirmed and, and, and takes her seat on the Supreme Court, she will be the first Supreme Court justice with children in elementary school. Okay? She, she lives our life. She's a Catholic, and she lives her faith. And the other side is, is coming against her for everything. There are people, you know, she, she and her husband are white. They have five white children of, of their own. And they adopted two children from Haiti who are black. And she is being attacked for adopting black children. Right? And you have to understand conditions in Haiti. It is probably the poorest country in the world. Most of the children do not make it through their early childhood because of malnutrition. They die. And she and her husband adopted two of these people, young children at two different times, a couple of years apart. And she is being criticized for adopting black children. Can you, can you imagine taking these children out of utter poverty and bringing them into their family and loving them? This is what she is being criticized for. It is incredible. I read a story this morning on the Internet that was criticizing Amy Barrett because she supported a group that believe that life begins at fertilization. How radical is that? Of course it's not. Life does begin at fertilization. Right? It's a biological fact. But there are people who are writing articles and, and demonstrating against her because she believes the scientific fact that life begins at fertilization at the point where the sperm and the egg join inside a woman's body and a new human being is created at that point. Right? It's biology. It's science. It can be shown. And yet she's criticized for believing it. This is the opposition that she has. The opposition that we know exists in this country, that they are so adamantly pro-abortion, that scientific facts mean nothing to them at all. And they're rolling out all of these arguments to fight the confirmation of Amy to the Supreme Court. Now, there's a timeline that goes on here. Last Saturday, 
President Trump um, announced her as, as the candidate for the Supreme Court. Right? She is now, at this point in time, she is now making the rounds of uh, the United States Senate and sitting and talking personally to, to each of the senators and answering questions they may have. The idea is that she should be she should talk to all of them. Right, there are a hundred senators. Um, by by early yesterday morning, she had already talked to twenty of the senators, uh, and uh, she she was going to spend today, and then next week, hopefully, seeing all of the the senators. Uh, in the past, or in, in not too distant past, uh, in the last few nominees, there were. Of Democratic senators who refuse to meet with the re- nominee of a Republican president. There, there's nothing she can do about that except try to meet with them. So this is what's going on now, right? This week and next week, she will be meeting with all the senators individually uh, or in small groups, depending on how the senators want to do it. And she will be answering questions. Then on uh, October the 12th, which is... Um, Columbus Day, uh, she she will uh, appear before the Senate Judiciary Committee, which has uh, 22 members, 12 Republicans, 10 Democrats, and she will give an opening statement and she will take questions from the members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And those questions will go on for a couple of days. Okay, uh, generally the first day is is you know. Just an overview, some statements by her, and then the questioning starts on the on the second day. So in this case, on the thirteenth, and it will go for one or two days. Sometimes it extends into the third day, um, and then it wraps up. And then the the intent is then that the senators get together, and they go and they um, discuss the nomination. And the following week, they will vote on this is the Senate Judiciary Committee on whether or not they, they will send her nomination to the full Senate with a recommendation of approval or a recommendation of not approval or you know the worst they could do is vote not to send it. Um, but it is expected that they will vote to send it because there are ten Republican um, senators uh, on the on the committee. I'm, I'm sorry, twelve Republican and ten Democrats, so there should be enough to, to send her. And then the Supreme Court will vote. I mean, I'm sorry. Then the the full Senate will vote on her nomination. And if everything goes smoothly and there are no hiccups and, and it all progresses, it is possible that on either October the 28th or October the 29th, uh, she will be confirmed as the next associate justice on the Supreme Court. So a very busy time over the next couple of weeks, leading to what is hoped to be a confirmation of her position on the Supreme Court on either the 28th or the 29th of October, which of course is before the elections. And there is some push to have her confirmed before the elections because of the fact that since um, Ginsburg died, the, the court now has eight justices. And, and if anything um, is challenged in terms of the election, there is a chance of a four to four vote in the uh, in the Supreme Court, which would be a tie um, and which would really cause a lot of confusion. But if she was approved before then, then there would be nine justices and therefore um, there should be a majority. Okay, one way or another, the vote can have a majority. So that's what's going on with the Supreme Court. 
Uh, we, we, uh, all of our indications with Amy Coney Barrett is that she is an excellent choice, and we look forward, hopefully, to having her join the Supreme Court. And that should provide a majority of conservative justices on the Supreme Court. We, I say should because there have been times in the past when we thought that was the case, but justices have changed their positions. So that's what's going on now. And, and I want to talk one more thing about the Supreme Court. But first of all, I want to um, remind everybody that my name is Jim Sedlak, and you're listening to Pro-Life Activism from Creation to Death a Christian voice in your home. Okay. Uh, we've been talking about um, a week, a typical week in the United States where some 16,000 babies are killed. And this is a typical week like every other week uh, and the need to stop that. And we've been talking about the Supreme Court justice. And I just want to throw in one thing here. You will be hearing terms and we hear it on the news now all over the place called stacking the court. This is the phrase they're using. It's called stacking the court. And, and a number of people have asked, you know, what does that mean, stacking the court? So very quickly, we're used to having nine justices on the Supreme Court. Uh, you know, whatever somebody dies, re, re, you know, resigns, whatever, we get somebody else in. But it's it's been nine justices. But it hasn't always been nine justices on the Supreme Court. In fact, the Constitution doesn't say anything about how many justices are on the Supreme Court. That is left to Congress to make that decision. And when the first Supreme Court was impaneled back in 1789, there were six justices on the Supreme Court. Seems to me like a weird, you don't want an even number, but there were. There were six justices. There was a, a chief justice and five associate justices in 1789. Um, and this was done by a vote of Congress. Congress said, you know, this is how many there should be. Um, in 1807, some 18 years later, uh, Congress voted again and raised the number to seven justices on the Supreme Court. And then in 1837, some 30 years after that, the number was raised to nine. In 1863, it went up to 10. And then in 1869, it was taken back down to nine. So we have had nine justices continuously since 1869. That's why you know, we, we just think, oh, yeah, there's always nine justices on the Supreme Court. Well, it's, it's a decision of Congress. Okay, and and this, the decision hasn't changed now since 1869. So we do have the nine, and that's why we're used to it. Right? But this year there is talk that if if you know, a let's say Amy Barrett gets gets confirmed, and there seems to be a majority of conservative justice, that if in the election which takes place in a month, if in the election there is a Democratic president, a Democratic House, and a Democratic Senate all put in place with, with the Democrat Party controlling all three, that they will look, they may, there's no, they haven't said they will, that they may look to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court. And I've heard various numbers, as many as five new justices, and then fill all of those positions with liberal justices because they will have the president and the votes in the Senate to do that. Okay. And then immediately take what would be a 
conservative court and change it back to a liberal court. That's what stacking the court means. Okay, but they need to win all those races and they need to have control of the House, control of the Senate, etc. And so this is being discussed. But, you know, it's it's you know, is it real? Is it not real? Well, the only thing we can tell you for sure is this week there was a presidential debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. And in the debate, the moderator said this is a question he asked. He says, so my question to you is, are you willing to tell the American people tonight whether or not you will support packing the court? After the question was asked, there was some back and forth between Biden and Trump, as there was throughout the, the uh, debate. But the, the Biden's final answer was, I am not going to answer the question. OK, so you say, are they serious or not about this stacking the court? Well, Biden said he's not going to say. So you can take that for what it's worth. But just know when you go to the polls, right, and the polls in in, in many states are already open, and you cast your ballot, remember, it's not just the president and the vice president that is important. It is the House of Representatives, and every member is up for election. So you can make it either a Democratic House or a Republican House, Whichever you want to make it, depending on your voting, and also in the Senate, one-third of the Senate is up for re-election. So all those votes matter, and all those votes will play into the stacking the court thing, okay? So just be, just be aware of that. Obviously, if we've had nine justices since 1869, this has not happened before, although um, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, when he was trying to push through all of his programs— um, got a bill introduced in uh, in in Congress to expand the Supreme Court, but it got voted down in Congress, so it never happened. But it has been tried before, at least by a president and his party, uh, and, and it, it didn't succeed. Um, but it certainly could or could, you know, could not succeed this year. We don't know. So so that's that's what we want to talk about at the at the terms of the Supreme Court. I think we've covered just about everything there that's going on this week. Uh, of course, there, there is uh, a lot more going on. Uh, I didn't mention at the top of the program, and I assume most of you have heard the word, um, but it was announced this morning by President Trump that both he and the First Lady have tested positive for coronavirus and therefore will be isolating themselves in the White House um, as you know things go on and, and uh, so that they don't infect anybody else. Uh, the way this happens is he will be tested, he and she will be tested again um, within a day or two to, to get results. Um, and then depending on those results, what will happen? I, I'll give you an example. I mean, it's not, we, we have no idea if it's going to happen, but in NASCAR, in NASCAR the, the auto racing um, circuit, uh, all the drivers are tested on the, the Friday before the Sunday, the, the Saturday um, uh, trials in the Sunday races, and they're tested on Friday. And if they uh, test negative, then they can participate that weekend. If they don't test negative, if they test positive, then they can't participate. And there was a noted NASCAR driver who won Friday, um, got tested and was positive. So he couldn't run that weekend. And then on Monday, they tested him again, and he was negative. And then on, on uh, I believe it was Wednesday, they tested him again, and he was negative. So he was cleared to run the following week. So a single positive test 
you know, there are false positives, just as there are false negatives. So, but but assuming that everything was done correctly, and that in fact he does have um, the coronavirus, uh, know that 98% of the people who get coronavirus not only survive, but recover just fine, okay? And generally recover within a few weeks. Uh, some of them take a lot longer, um, but but it is not a, you know, a death sentence, if you will. Um, only 2% die, which is a large number, and I'm not trying to, to downplay it, but you know, if you're looking at the president of the United States and you say, oh, no, he's got coronavirus, what's going to happen? Well, 98% of the time, he'll be just fine, okay? And he will get over it. Um, so we're going to be watching what happens, obviously, um, and it will make some changes in the election process. But um, in terms of debates and stuff, they'll probably do it virtually now instead of in person. And, you know, all the kinds of accommodations that all the country has been making for most of 2020, you know, that'll all uh, go into effect here. OK, um, so our the reason for bringing it up is our, that our prayers are with President and Mrs. Trump. And we, we invite all of our listeners out there to pray for their full recovery and the full recovery of anybody who has the coronavirus. Um, we, we don't like to see it. We want this virus to go away. There are people working on vaccines. And as long as they're ethical vaccines that don't use or are not derived from aborted fetal cell lines, we applaud the work uh, on, on the vaccines. Okay. So, so we, we have these things going on. I will simply mention one other thing about the presidential debate this week. Uh, some of you may have seen it. It's a debate unlike any other debate we've ever seen. But we have a couple of fighters up there who, were, who showed in the debate that they are you know, on top of their game and fighting. And you look at their positions. From a pro-life perspective, I was very, very disappointed that the word abortion was not mentioned a single time in the entire debate. Nothing was discussed about abortion. COVID-19, by the way, was mentioned 17 times during the debate. It was, you know, a, a topic of interest, but not abortion. That is horrible. Okay. Killing babies was not even discussed among the presidential candidates. Now, there are two more debates coming, and we hope that uh, they will, in fact, discuss the slaughter of innocent children in our country as part of the presidential debates, but we'll wait to see. And, and without downplaying the, the deaths of people, I mean, we have to realize that in the United States today, in the year 2020, there are an estimated 200,000-plus people in America that have died this year from, from the COVID virus, a little over 200,000 so far. That's a big number. That's a lot of people to die. But we also know that here in the United States, so far this year, being now, you know, having gone through nine months, there are an estimated 624,000 preborn babies, people, who have died by means of abortion. And if the deaths of 200,000 is talked about 17 times, why isn't the people involved in the debate talking about abortion, which kills 624,000? I don't know. And that's all I'll say on that. I, I just hope that, that we get a lot more people 
who are discussing what's going on in the uh, in, in in the real world out there. The real killers in this country, which is abortion. Okay, uh, if you've just tuned in, uh, my name is Jim Sedlak, and you're listening to Pro-Life Activism from Creation to Death. A Christian on the Radio Maria US, a Christian voice in your home. We've been talking about things about the election, about the Supreme Court, about COVID 19, about the statistics on abortion and how many babies have died so far this year. Um, we wanted to now talk about, for the last uh, probably uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes of our show, we, we want to talk about activism, things you can do. Now, we already mentioned the 40 days for life, and I'll mention it again because it's, it's really just started. It started um, a week ago Wednesday, right? So it's been going on now for, for about nine days, and which means it's got over 30 days to go. So it's not over with by any means. Um, it's, it's pe- people doing a lot of activities in their communities. Some of them will stand out in front of abortion facilities and pray. Some of them will distribute literature throughout the communities. And some of them will simply meet in, in prayer sessions. So um, there is something for everybody in 40 Days for Life. And so we encourage you to go to your website, 40daysforlife.com, uh, click on Locations, and then you will find out, you know, just by going through the list, look up your state, look up the cities where there is activity going on, and you'll find out the nearest 40 days for life um, to you. And then go join it. Get involved. Right? This is, this is the time for involvement. This is the time to be out there. You, know, you don't have to, to be a sidewalk advocate or a counselor. Right? You don't even have to talk to the women. You can be prayer support out there. Uh, you can do that and uh, and you know do it well and, and be be the support they need. You can also distribute literature in the, in, in the community. All the things that Forty Days for Life does. So uh, please um, get involved in Forty Days for Life. You have another, I think, thirty one days to do it before they they uh, end this campaign. Uh, just two days before the election. So it is something that's there. It's available to you. Okay. Uh, we also want to call to your attention, we have here before, and we actually had Katie Brown from American Life League on the show a couple of weeks ago, talking about the Marian Blue Wave. I mean, this is something that should be interest to all our Catholic listeners. The Marian Blue Wave is an effort that was kicked off on October the 7th, 2019, for people to commit to, say, a rosary a week for the intention of closing all Planned Parenthood facilities and ending abortion in the United States and protecting Christ in the Eucharist. And people have committed. Over 3,000 people in 31 different countries have now committed to doing this. And it is a growing movement, and it has resulted in a major victory which will be talked about next Wednesday, October the 7th, the first anniversary of the start of the Marian Blue Wave campaign. And we'll we'll be talking about the major victory that has been accomplished so far. And we will invite more people to join. And we will invite those people that have joined to, to encourage others to join, because this is becoming a very successful effort. Uh, to find out about it and to, to, and to sign up to hear the webinar that is going to take place 
next Wednesday, October the 7th, right? Go to marionbluewave.com and uh, on the right-hand side, the top of the right-hand column, you click on a box there and it will bring you all the details and give you the link to sign up. And if you sign up, and, and so far, we this was just announced yesterday, uh, or maybe it was the day before yesterday, uh, and there's already over 200 people that have signed up. And although the, the uh, we, we have room for a lot of people, um, space is not unlimited. So I would encourage you to sign up as soon as you can. Uh, the webinar will take place 9 o'clock Eastern time. And then, of course, as you go across the time zones across the country, um, you know, it, it will be the equivalent time. For example, in California, it will be 6 o'clock in the evening. Um, but uh, sign up for it. You'll, you'll get the information. You, they'll send you the links that you need in order to join in, in the, the Marion Blue Wave um, webinar. Uh, Bishop Joseph Strickland from Tyler, Texas, who was instrumental in the original founding of the Marion Blue Wave, um, it will also be on our show uh, next Wednesday. Um, and and if, if you're not aware of Bishop Strickland, uh, please just join the, the webinar to hear from him because um, a very holy man, a very righteous man, um, and a man who speaks for hundreds of thousands of Catholics in this country. Um, he is the, the bishop of Tyler, Texas, but his reach is far beyond um, his own diocese. And so we invite you to join, and, and there'll be some other speakers also uh, on, the, on the program. And uh, if everything goes as planned, I will even be on the program for a little while. Um, so you say, oh, no, we hear enough of you, Jim. We don't want to tune in to hear you. But, uh, but you know, we invite you to join. And, and so uh, put that on your calendar. Uh, first of all, immediately um, after this show is over, um, go to marionbluewave.com or tonight if, you're, if you can't get to it during the day today and sign up for the webinar. Now, why October the 7th? It's the Feast of Mary, Mother of the Rosary, okay? Um, it, is, it is a Marian feast. It is the Feast of the Rosary. And, and so that's why that day was picked a year ago. It turns out to be, you know, a good idea because, there, we, you know, in less than a year, we've already seen a major victory that, that nobody, uh, I think, could have predicted. But um, it happened, and we will be telling you all about it on Wednesday night. So if you want to know what this major victory is, you got to tune in to the webinar. MarianBlueWave.com. Um, on the upper right-hand side of the website, you click on the box about the webinar, and you'll get to the page where you can sign in and, and uh, get your spot and reserve your spot for the webinar. So uh, we encourage you to do that. Uh, you, it's going to be exciting. Um, and it's going to be um, worthwhile for, for you to be there and encouraging. Uh, we also, you know, in the the, uh, the month of October, which is in the Catholic Church, <clears throat> celebrated as the month of the Rosary. And you know, we we uh, we're there. Uh, and it's if if you're not familiar, I think if you're not familiar with the Rosary, um, then. On the Marion Blue Wave website, there's a whole thing of the rosary. There's also a video on the victories of the rosary. And just understand that, that the rosary um, is Mary's weapon. 
Okay, uh, some people use swords, some people use guns, some people use bombs. Mary uses the rosary, and the rosary has a, achieved over the centuries huge victories, uh, huge victories, and and uh, it's just amazing what can happen when one faithfully prays the rosary. We're talking about battles and war that have been won because people prayed the rosary. We're talking about the fact, for example, and this is one of the facts we found out as we were putting together the Marian Blue Wave that just blew me away. Um, in, in, in Japan, uh, there were um, religious uh, priests and monks um, who were devoted to the rosary and would say a rosary, and, and, and in one case, uh, uh, not just the five decades of the rosary, but the 15 decades of the rosary every day, uh, and were devoted to Mary, and were devoted to, to the rosary. One of them was in Hiroshima, and the other was in Nagasaki, okay? Um, in both cases, they had their, their buildings, their, their offices, their homes, um, rectories, if you will, in, in today's terminology, located near where the atomic bombs fell. And, and uh, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, as close as eight blocks from ground zero, in other cases, an hour, I'm sorry, a mile, a mile and a half away. Um, when the bombs dropped, the area was eviscerated, you know, from the, from the force of the bomb. In both cases, the houses where these priests dedicated to the rosary were, their houses remained standing. The damage to one of the houses was broken window glass, and one of the monks inside got some cuts through the flying window glass. That was the only injuries that were suffered. There were no serious injuries to any of them who were close, very close to the detonation of the atomic bombs. Following up years later, they found that all of these priests lived to their expected ages, 60s and 70 years old, and were never affected by radiation. Absolutely incredible. But it is listed today as among the victories of the rosary. So we got to pray the rosary. We invite you to do it um, as we close out our show today. We thank you for listening. Please pray for our country. Please pray for Amy Barrett. And let's ask our Blessed Mother, Mother of God, spread the effect of grace of thy flame of love over all of humanity, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Thank you very much for listening.